0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Boy, listening to that weather forecast. Summer was here for two days. Now sounds like it's gonna be gone for a while. It will be back. Hope you had a great weekend. Got a chance to enjoy the outdoors. I um I, I did, no complaints. Couple rounds of golf, good weather, couple meals outside with friends, got to enjoy that as well. The Brewers take three of four from the Los Angeles Dodgers. That was a good thing as well. I, I did send out a tweet. Now yesterday they got lit up. Um sixteen to four. And if you're gonna lose There's really, I guess, no difference between Losing five to four in an eleven inning heartbreaker, or maybe you could even argue, maybe it's better just to get blown out, and 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 that was certainly what happened yesterday. I was playing golf, got off the golf course, leaving eh, probably around one forty five or so. I I turn on the radio, of course, I am going to listen to the ball game. I hear Bob Uecker say, "Oh, it's it's the end of the second inning. It's Dodgers nine, Brewers nothing." I am going nine to nothing, and of course it it just got worse. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Um, one of the things that uh, I I put out a posting um, about the the rookie pitcher. They brought a pitcher up who'd never pitched higher than double-A ball. His name is Alec Bettinger, and he just got absolutely shelled. 11 hits 11 runs in four innings um, just it, it was a complete and total debacle but here's, here's my thought you know on the plus side if Alec Bettinger gets a chance to pitch again in the major leagues and you don't know that he will but if he does get another chance the good news is he can't do any worse than he did today and if he does Well, no problem. I mean, the world needs car salesmen and insurance agents and talk show hosts and rodeo clowns, too. So it's just, you know, one way or the other, can't miss out on that. But a good series, and now the Brewers go off to Philadelphia. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 Got a couple links to some of the things we're going to be talking about on today's show, including... Disneyland and Snow White has upset the culture warriors. I will explain. We will discuss. But if you want to get a head start, you can check it out. And we start today's show, all right, where everybody was starting their programs over the weekend. The NFL draft has come and gone. The Aaron Rodgers controversy continues. Now, I sent out a tweet that sort of embodies how I feel about this. And it's this is what I said. I mean, it's a note to WTMJ management. Give me a four-year contract that makes me the highest-paid guy in Milwaukee radio, plus give me a whole boatload of upfront money, and I promise... I won't be mad if you recruit my eventual successor. Tell you what, because I'm going to be gone someday, I will even help prepare that person because I recognize that no individual is more important than than an organization. So treat me fairly. Give me a whole bunch of money. I will be glad to help groom whoever's going to be in this chair after I leave. No problem at all. That of course separates me and many of us from Aaron Rodgers. Now everybody knows the story with Rodgers. Uh, when the draft was getting ready to start on Thursday, the reports are that Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay, etc. He feels like he's disrespected; his feelings are hurt, and he's, you know, saying that he's going to he's played his last down for Green Bay. Over the weekend, it, it starts to become more embellished, and we we hear at least from people. Uh, in Rogers' camp, that Rogers is saying that if, if he's going to return, he wants the general manager fired. He wants the general manager fired because he's unhappy that he wasn't consulted before they they drafted a, a quarterback that fell to them, you know, in the draft the year before this this past one, so he's upset about that. Apparently, they offered him a little bit more money, but not enough. So Rodgers is saying, "Well, I might just if you you know the only way I'm coming back is you fire the general manager." Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I admit that you know we, we talked about this on Friday over the weekend. I was out and about with friends and with people i just met and stuff and, and this was one of the sources of conversation and i will tell you i i get no sympathy for aaron Rodgers, and i give no sympathy to aaron Rodgers. i mean to me it's kind of like they're paying you a bunch of money stop whining and grow up and, and look i it's one of these deals where you're 37 years old you're going to be 38 during the next football season you you've had an amazing career you've been paid a boatload of money the packers organization has treated you incredibly well and it's given you the opportunities to do you know pretty much what you want to do for your life thus far and probably for the rest of your life moving forward and I just, I cannot stand people who are ungrateful. And Roger strikes me as the epitome of being ungrateful. Now, for everybody on these talking head shows on ESPN and stuff on TV says, well, Aaron Rodgers holds all the cards. No, he doesn't. I mean, he's under contract for the next three years. And if he chooses not to play, that that's fine. Go sit at home in, you know, California and, all right, if you want to try to get a TV gig, that that's great. I'm not sure Jeopardy's going to touch the guy. I know that you know hit the ratings on Jeopardy went up slightly, but that's more like a curiosity. People tuning in to watch Aaron Rodgers for 2 weeks. It's not like, "Oh my gosh, Aaron Rodgers is the second coming of of Alex Trebek." Maybe he'll get that job, maybe not, but he doesn't have any leverage in that regard. Do you think a 37-year-old quarterback who says he wants to play till he's 45, do you think he's really going to retire and walk away from the game for a year or two? Now, if somebody like De- Denver comes around and, and makes the an, Packers an offer that they can't refuse. Maybe that's a different story. But as far as Aaron Rodgers is whining, I, I mean, I just think the Packers, at this point in time, the Packers are like, look, if you want to play, you want to play. If you want to sit at home in California, sit at home in California. 855 616 1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage talk and text line. No sympathy from me. And unlike when the thing happened with Brett Favre 16 years ago, and my sense was, doing a radio show at the time, it was about 50-50. People thought the Packers were unfairly forcing uh, Brett Favre into retirement. I think it was about 50-50. My sense is it's about 90-10. Not much sympathy for Aaron Rodgers. Where do you stand? And if the deal really is that the Packers have to fire the general manager to make him happy, do they do it? My answer would be not just no, but heck no. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line we discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. 855 That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff Rogers will not get the Jeopardy gig now that he's shown what a jerk he is. Well, I don't know about but he, he was okay on Jeopardy. I'm not dissing him, but he, he's, especially for a football player, and yes, the ratings went up slightly, but only slightly, but I think that was because it was kind of a curiosity. Let, let's let tune in to Jeopardy to see how well the football guy does. You know, is, is Aaron Rogers, his presence on that, is that going to suddenly make you watch the show? And if you're a world-class athlete, World-class athletes don't walk away while they can still play the game. Jeff, let him go somewhere else and go into the Hall of Fame wearing a Butte Community College jersey. Um, ouch. Um, Jeff, one has to wonder what role his fiance had in Roger's decision to win out of Green Bay. They want to live in a bigger market closer to L.A. The love issue, I believe, that's uh, Jordan Love, the quarterback, is just a means to get out. Um yeah, I, I mean, I, I think um, that's it. Uh, let's see, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Kathy in West Dallas. Hi, Kathy.
2: Hi. What um, do you think? I don't understand what his issue is. Look how many years he sat on the bench when... Um,
1: Favre. Favre was Three there. years, yeah. Yeah.
2: So for him, if he were saying something like, I don't think it's going to be fair for someone to sit on the bench because I'm still going to be there... That's one thing, but that's not what he's saying. And then for him to ask to have somebody fired is like just <laughs> well,
1: well, well, right. Well, I mean, it's, it's like what? What do you you think? I mean, th- this is part of the problem where anybody thinks that they are bigger than an organization. I mean, the the, the Packers at some point in time have to pr- plan for the future, which is to your point, is exactly what they did. They they saw with Brett Favre that. You know, there, there was going to be a time when Brett Favre would have to move on. And they, they had the opportunity to pick Aaron Rodgers, and he's turned out to be an outstanding replacement for Brett Favre, one of the best quarterbacks ever. I'm taking nothing away from that. But now he's 37 years old, he'll be 38 this season. I think it would be irresponsible for the Packers not to be making plans for for somewhere down the line and i think it's incredible that you have a player that doesn't get that it that's just and i i want the general manager fired because of this give me a break
2: totally i agree absolutely there's for anybody to ask for someone to lose their job because you don't like something that they're doing right well right just,
1: yeah no thanks for call- well, and again and yeah, see okay you you can argue that Okay, should the Packers have communicated better? I I, yeah, all all right, you know. But at at the same time, you're to me, to me, you show your respect for someone. If you're an employer, the best way you show your respect for somebody is how you compensate them, and the Packers. At the time, made Aaron Rodgers the highest paid player in football at the age of 36. Plus, they gave him a boatload of upfront money. That's how you show your respect for somebody. And for Aaron Rodgers to think that, well, I, I just, I, they, they shouldn't even be starting to think about my replacement and I'm going to get my nose out of joint, it, it really, it, to me, it it just again it, it shows ingratitude, and I've said this before. The the one and I'm, I'm borrowing the line from George C. Scott in the movie Patent. But you know, whatever else people's failings are, you know, the patent character would say, I, "I'm not ungrateful," and and Aaron Rodgers is being incredibly ungrateful, and that's taking nothing away from from his talent. And I think this is I think this is boomeranging. I don't believe that. Aaron Rodgers, when he started like putting out these stories through his people, I don't think he realized the fan reaction was going to be what it was, and that is overwhelmingly negative. Now, I understand that there's some people out there who just, oh, this is just it, the Packers really mishandled it. But I think most people can kind of relate to this and say, wait a second, they make you the highest-paid player in football, and you're you're whining about the fact that they're looking four years down the road from when you're not here? Let's talk to uh, Nick, who's in Green Bay. Hi, Nick, you're on WTMJ. Nick. Nick, Nick, Nick. Okay, let's try Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hey, Jeff. Um, I'm a little more sympathetic with him. Um, You know, like in 2010 when we won the Super Bowl, we've never replaced or never had that good a group of wide receivers since then. You know, they've just gotten worse and worse. And the league has gotten more uh, pass-orientated, quarterback-driven. And, you know, they never seem to... um, be willing to uh, invest in a free agent wide receiver or draft on high. The three guys that this this uh, GM drafted, you know, one of them got cut the first year. The highest, and I'd say in general, uh, most of the Packers wide receivers wouldn't be on. an a
2: lot of nfl but okay let me
1: um, let me stop you for all this okay last year who to the, win? well well right last year the packers went 13 and 3 and were you know in in the NFC championship game year before that they went 13 <laughs> the year thanks I'm sorry the year before that they went 13 and and 3 they've won the north division for you know how many years you know and and, and they can't exactly get over the hump it it's not like they're I don't know, you know, pick. It's not like they're the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, this is a team that has has in, had incredible success. So for everybody who says, well, they you know, they haven't invested in the team and they haven't made the, these changes. Well, they're, they, they've won. They've they've put out most years a, a winning team. Now part of that is because of Aaron Rodgers, but my my God, they went 13 and three last year, and his nose is bent out of shape. They went 13 and three the year before that, and his nose is bent out of shape. I don't know that over those last two years. Is there is there any team? There's probably not many, if any, teams that have had a better regular season record. Now, admittedly, they've come up short. I'm as frustrated as any Packers fan about that. But for people who say, well, they're they're not providing quality players around him, well, obviously, they're doing something right because they win year after year after year. They could have been the Chicago um, Bears. Jeff, if the issue is Rodgers being upset over wasted years in Green Bay, he should have brought it up years ago. The new factor is his new life with getting married soon and wanting to raise a family close to home. That's what's changed, and he knows he has limited playing years, and he wants to do what Brady did in Tampa. Um, yeah, Jeff, we all want to win. If you want to be the general manager and make the calls in the draft, be a general manager. If not, shut up and, and play Football. Um, well, yeah, Jeff. Sure, they went thirteen and three without Rodgers. They're probably eight and eight. Okay, that's taking nothing away from Rodgers being an incredibly talented player. But but at the same time, you've got a team that's drafting towards the end of every round for year after year after year. And and could they have brought in another player or two? And would it have made a difference? Who knows? That that's woulda, coulda, shoulda. But it's not like the Packers haven't produced a winning. Team. Jeff, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but he would take less money so that they could have better players on the team to win. Being a lifelong Packers fan, I would love to see Aaron compete with Brady's legacy, but I think he threw it all out over the weekend. I I think he did, um, too. Jeff, I think this has a lot to do with the girlfriend. Why didn't this all come out last year? when they made the trade. Jeff, it's a business. They don't need permission from an employee to hire a backup. You better learn from them, Aaron Rodgers. He's being extremely insecure or being extremely arrogant. Neither is a good look for him. No, I I, I agree with that. Jeff, I agree with you on most everything. However, they could have shown Rodgers some more respect last year and just told him they were going to do it. Yeah, I, I think If you want to fault them for communication, I don't know that they went into that draft planning to draft Jordan Love as a quarterback. Um, I I don't think they thought Jordan Love was going to fall to him. Just like 16 years ago, they didn't think Aaron Rodgers was going to fall all the way to whenever it was their turn to draft, 17, 18, whatever that was, when they had Brett Favre. So, I mean, I don't know that the plan was always to draft Jordan Love. I think they thought Jordan Love would probably have been gone. So what are you supposed to do? It's draft night. And you're, you're planning to take a quarterback or, or a, a quarterback or a wide receiver or, or whatever, and you start to see this player who could be at some point in time in the future your next franchise quarterback, and he starts falling lower and lower. What are you supposed to do? Pick up the phone and call Aaron Rodgers and say, "Hey, Aaron, I don't know if you're watching the draft, but we might have a chance to get Jordan Love." And and how do you feel about it? That's just not. That's just not the way the the railroad works. And from the perspective of Aaron Rodgers, they pay him a ton of money. That That's how you show somebody what their worth is. And if you really cared about the organization and your legacy, I think what you would do is commit yourself to recognizing, hey, there's going to be a time when I'm not here. So instead of whining about this, I'm going to do what I can to help groom my my successor. Now, in fairness... Brett Favre was, I am told, absolutely awful to Aaron Rodgers for the first couple of years. I think it took him a long time to kind of get over that. And I think Favre probably re- regrets some of the way that he treated Rodgers in the beginning. But Rodgers certainly didn't learn anything from it. Well, in any event, I, I don't know how this is going to play out. Nothing there's. A, if you read the Denver papers and stuff, the Denver is apparently the... The, the first choice, and a lot of people in Denver think that after June 1st, because you can make a trade after June 1st, and the salary cap hit goes from like 30, for the Packers, goes from like 37 million to 12 million, and there's a, a lot of packages that are are being discussed um, for various players and stuff, and maybe that's the most logical point, and I don't think anything's going to happen until after June, but I w- June 1st, but I will tell you, I think Aaron Rodgers has lost, I, I think he's lost a lot of respect from the fans, and My my guess is, my sense is, it's about 80-20, maybe 85-15, maybe 90-10 people not sympathetic with Aaron Rodgers. And to circle back to where we started this, like I say, WTMJ management, you want to make me the highest paid personality in Milwaukee radio for a four-year deal, give me a bunch of money up front, I will gladly take that, and I will gladly help groom my successor. But that's just me. Back with more in just a minute.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So, very glad to have you with us. The Greater Milwaukee International Car and Truck Show is back. It's a car enthusiast's paradise featuring hundreds of the latest cars and trucks. We take you inside Wisconsin State Fair Park for all the sights, the sounds, and the smells. Tune in this Wednesday, May 5th, for a special Wisconsin's Afternoon News with the Greater Milwaukee International Car and Truck Show. All right, when I am preparing for the the program... I, I, I look at a wide variety of, of sources ranging from stuff that's out on the Internet to newspapers to, like, TV websites to all sorts of information to, to your tips and stories like that. And every once in a while, I'll see this story, and I'll, I'll say, that can't be. It's it just I, I see what the headline is. I'm reading what they say, but but this can't be. And then I end up chasing my tail for a little bit because then I try to explore to determine, is this really the case? Because it so sounds so crazy. That it couldn't be the case. And and sometimes it turns out, yes, it, it is crazy. It's not the case. And then sometimes it is reality. Snow White and the cancel culture. Snow White and the new Snow White ride at Disneyland is under attack by culture warriors who are upset with their ride. I will explain. Now, first of all, does everybody know the story of Snow White? You know, you got Snow White, she's living with the seven dwarfs, all that sort of stuff, and there's the evil queen who's out there, you know, who wants to be mirror-mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of of them all, and the, the mirror tells the queen the evil queen that that snow white is the fairest. So what happens is the story of snow white and I hope I'm not giving it away for anybody who hasn't seen it. It is by the way a fairy tale. I think the original Walt Disney snow white story, the first movie was made in like 1938. So it's it's been around for, you know, 90, you know, going on 90 years or or whatever. So the the story is the the evil queen goes out, and she feeds, remember, she feeds Snow White the poison apple. And the poison apple puts Snow White in a trance, and the way this all ends is the handsome prince finds her, kisses her, its true love's kiss, and she wakes up, and they live happily ever after. Okay, that that's the, the Snow White story. Now, you might say, Jeff, wh- what what is why why are we talking about Snow White? What what is what is there about the Snow White story that people could be upset about? Well, follow me on this. All right, there is a Snow White ride at at Disneyland. It's been there like like forever. And during COVID, Disneyland was closed down. They just opened up the the park last weekend they used the time that Disneyland was closed to revamp a couple of the rides including the Snow White ride and apparently they completely reimagined it the the original Snow White ride was kind of it was described as sort of like dark and scary for kids and in this reimagining of the the snow white ride apparently it's it's a lot it's a lot lighter there's music it's a lot sort of a happier thing but it still tells the story of of snow white which is again the the evil witch you know gives her the poison apple and the prince comes and and kisses her okay so it's a lighter um, lots of music and things like that. And if, by the way, if you don't believe me uh, about what I'm going to tell you, I, I've got a link to one of the stories about this. You can follow me on Twitter at Wagner 620 But but here's the deal. So it, it's, it's a lighter sort of ride and, you know, more of the happy dwarves and things like that. All right. So what what is the, the problem? Well, a- as we know, in the Snow White story, at the end, Snow White is saved when the handsome prince arrives, kisses her, she wakes up, they live happily ever after. All right. I am not exaggerating this. I quote from a review, which is otherwise a, a positive review of, of the ride. I quote from a review in the San Francisco Gate, but this is not the first story about this. Um, Snow White has apparently, unknown to me, been controversial for a couple years. All right. Here's, here's what the, um, They described in the issue, the ride now culminates in the true love's kiss scene in which the prince, believing Snow White to be dead, kisses her, breaking the queen's curse that had put her into the deep trance. A kiss he gives to her without her consent while she's asleep, which cannot possibly be true love if only one person knows it's happening. Noted reviewers at the San Francisco Gate. Let me read that again. A kiss he gives to her without her consent while she's asleep, which cannot possibly be true love if only one person knows it's happening. I continue from the review. Haven't we already agreed that consent in early Disney movies is a major issue? That teaching kids that kissing, when it hasn't been established, if both parties are willing to engage, is not okay? It's hard to understand why the Disneyland of 2021 would choose to add a scene with such old fashioned ideas of what a man is allowed to do to a woman, um, especially given the company's current emphasis on removing problematic scenes. Why not reimagine an ending in keeping with the spirit of the movie and Snow White's place in the Disney canon, but avoids the problem? All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the Snow White story. Handsome Prince shows up, kisses the sleeping Snow White. She wakes up. All is good. They live happily ever after. You have the culture warriors who are now upset with Disney, saying it's 2021. This is... Don't they know about the rape culture and the lack of consent? How can you suggest that somebody can come up and kiss somebody when they are sleeping and and that that could possibly be all right, much less lead to a happy ending? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My simple answer would be, it's a fairy tale. It's a story, and anybody who thinks that the ending to Snow White Promotes and promotes the the rape culture. They've got more problems than Snow White. 85-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. What do you think we discuss in just a moment? Should Disney scrap the ending of Snow White because, well, it, it promotes sexual assault of women? Or is this just another one of these classic examples of the perpetually correct, the politically correct and the perpetually offended looking for something to be upset about? It's a fairy tale we discuss in just a minute. You're listening to
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: I swear, stuff like this just makes my head want to explode. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, Disneyland reopened last Friday in California. They reimagined their Snow White ride, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs ride, but you have some of the culture warriors who are upset because the the last scene, similar to the the fairy tale, is the handsome prince finding Snow White after she's eaten the poison apple, kissing her, and it brings her, it reanimates, brings her back to life. Um, She wakes up out of the trance, and the culture warriors are upset because they think it promotes the rape culture and suggests that it's okay to kiss women while they're asleep. I swear, I cannot make this up. Jeff, it's amazing how adults can really screw up a good old-fashioned romantic story. Um, Jeff, if they really keep this craziness up, we might finally see the downfall of the cancel culture as long as people don't give in. Yeah, seriously. I, I mean, a kiss... At the end of a fairy tale is a far cry from rape or a sexual assault. Well, yes. Jeff, if we start censoring fairy tales, I believe we should start with Hollywood, not the Brothers Grimm. Um, Jeff, it's not a consent issue. He thinks she's dead, which perhaps raises all sorts of other issues as well that don't even want to go down there. Jeff, as I told my kids, um, maybe the uh, prince was just giving Snow White CPR to save her life. She was just about dead. Right? Yeah, he was just kissing her. I mean that's that's the whole idea behind it. This was true love. Jeff, this is a joke. I would figure that maybe people would have more of a problem with her living with seven men. <laughs> Where do you start with this? Um, Jeff, don't tell anybody. But I kissed my daughter early this morning when I left for the airport. She was still sleeping before schools. Um, Jeff, tell the culture warriors to get a blessed life. It's a fairy tale. Of course, it's not reality. Or are they too stupid to realize that? Tell them to shut up, get a life and leave the rest of us Alone. Well, I think there is sort of an element to that. Oh, Jeff, Mar- oh, Mer- mercy! My husband kisses me goodbye every morning. Sometimes, is still I'm still asleep. How dare he? <laughs> you know, it's uh, there is that element. Um, how dare he? He does this eight five five six one six one six twenty. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. This. This is the sort of thing that just drives you absolutely nuts that there's people that get their undies in a bundle about um, this. Jeff, the Snow White Tale was actually a Grimm's fairy tale from long before Disney's version in the movie. Yeah, but I mean, I think it was probably popularized by the 1938 Disney movie. But um, mm-hmm. sure, <clears throat> Jeff, uh, where do we draw the line with this type of stuff? And my answer is I, I, I don't know. Jeff, um, let's see, um, these culture warriors are just miserable, unhappy people. They will never be happy. Society should not cave into these folks. Well, that, there, there is kind of an element, I, I think, to that whole thing that you have people who just, they're, they're just so upset with their own lives that they're sitting there trying to look at everything else and they're trying to read bad intentions into this. No, look, I, do, do I, do I understand that there are, that there are things that, you know, obviously that, that you should not do, for example, to women without their consent? Yeah, I, I get it. I understand all the arguments about the rape culture and things like that. Sure. But this, it's, it's a fairy tale. It's, it's an amusement park ride. It's a movie. It's a story. I mean, where do you draw the line? Um, (laughs) Jeff, in many cases, these are the same people who have no problem with Cardi B. That's Devin West Bend. Isn't that an interesting point as well? You know, you have the the, the rap songs that have, you know, incredibly violent, vile lyrics in them that promote all sorts of. Uh, admittedly, perhaps consensual sort of conduct, but still stuff that you'd say, man, I'm not sure that I necessarily want my kids exposed to this, but yet it's okay to have this going on. We, we But we can't have Snow White and we can't have the prince that has the kiss. Jeff, people that object to this desperately need to get a life. Um, yes. Um, let's see uh what damage has been done what damage has to have been done to you if you think this type of kiss is potentially an assault you know you, you do wonder how do you dream this stuff you know how, how do they dream this stuff up? Jeff, how many parents do the same thing to the children as long as they're asleep? Baby kiss on the forehead, kiss on the cheek while they're sleeping? Well, well, yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, clearly people who have problems with the Snow White ending have serious issues, not the least of which is the familiarity with the story. This is not the first time the prince sees Snow White. Also, Snow White sings a song wishing for her true love to find her. The prince believes Snow White is dead and in his sorrow gives her a chaste farewell well, kiss can't believe they're so hypersensitive. Well, right, the, but the argument is that that Snow White is asleep. So even if this is in fact her true love, the fact that she's asleep means she can't consent. Which means this is an example of promoting the rape culture. And how can we send this message to children? <sighs> I don't even know what to say sometimes. Back with more in just a minute. Speaking of the out-of-control culture, cancel culture, this is Jeff Wagner. Coming up right after the news, I've got another story. This involves a popular game show, Jeopardy!, a contestant. And it doesn't include Aaron Rodgers, I will tell you, and we will discuss as well. But, again, get ready for your head to explode when you hear this one. Um, last weekend was an interesting date. Um, Arlington International Racecourse, the Arlington Racetrack in Arlington, Illinois, which if, if you're a, a horse racing fan or even just kind of a casual fan, chances are you, you've probably been to it. That that track has been there for A long time. It started running in 1927. It was the subject of a a massive fire in the 80s. And then at a cost of staggering cost, like $100 million, they they rebuilt the Arlington Track. It, It is really, it is a majestic place. And it's a lot of fun to go to. I try to go there once a summer you know we uh we used to take my niece and my nephew down there and you know we we'd kind of make a day of it and it's lots of fun well the horse racing industry has kind of fallen on tough times over the last several years especially with the advent of casino gambling Arlington International Racecourse, which is a beautiful facility, it is owned by Churchill Downs, the the race company that that owns, like, Churchill Downs, where the Kentucky Derby was run, and other tracks around the country. Um, Churchill Downs has been in in an ongoing fight with the Illinois legislature, and apparently they they have announced that the Arlington International Racecourse, the track, it's up for sale. And everybody believes that this will be the last year that you will have horse racing at at Arlington and it's just a darn shame. It is because it's a wonderful facility, but I think what Churchill Downs wants to do is that they're really, they're more into being in the casino business than they are being in the horse racing business, and there's a couple other casinos that they are either going to be opening or already run in Illinois, so the idea is we sell off Arlington, we, we make a bunch of money by selling it to condo developers or, or whatever because it's an incredible uh, site, and then we just concentrate on, on these casinos we run and we can make more money. Th- that 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 might be the, the way the business shakes down but it's going to be just a darn shame for people who enjoy horse racing or just going down and, and having fun you know on a, on a Saturday or, or Sunday during the summer I bring this up because like I said there's a story in the Chicago Tribune about this today but smart money says that this will be the last year that there will be horse racing at Arlington Park in, in Chicago or north the northern suburbs of, of Chicago. There will be one more horse track in the Chicago area. That's at Hawthorne, but that, that's not a particularly nice track. And then there's, you know, one, one other track that they run horses in in downstate Illinois. But Arlington's always been just a fun track. It, they spent a lot of money. It's a beautiful facility. I bring this up because if, if you have been somebody that's gone down there occasionally over the course of the last, like, hundred years, you, you might want to mark your calendar to say, hey, i got to get down here this summer, because if you don't get down there this summer, chances are you're not going to ever have a chance to get down there. And again, it, it, it's just too bad. I understand it's business realities and things like that, but it appears that this will be the last year for the Arlington International Racecourse, and I'm, I'm really sorry, but you know that now, so if you're planning a Saturday or Sunday or a Friday afternoon or something, um, make your arrangements now because um pretty soon it's going to be gone all right when we come back mass hysteria for 2000 art i will explain live from the annex
0: wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner
1: All right Alex, I will take in the words of the Wall Street Journal editorial this morning. I will take mass hysteria for $2,000. I say frequently. I understand that there is there there are real social issues in this world and and when you when you find for example real issues of racism, they need to be addressed, they need to be condemned appropriately. At the same time, As we were discussing in the the last segment with the the whole Snow White controversy, there are people out there who are just looking for stuff to be offended by. And unfortunately, you have a lot of people who just wade into that. The OK sign where you take your thumb and your forefinger and push them together in a circle and then you extend your other three fingers. The typical OK sign, that has been a sign that has been used for, oh, they they think at least 150 years to, to signal well generally to signal exactly what it means. I, I'm okay. Divers use that is OK to signal OK. If you take if you're yoga, if you're into yoga, you use that symbol to that that you make that gesture to suggest that you're you're, you're feeling fine. It, it is a it is a common gesture that has been made. So. What happened is in twenty about twenty seventeen, um, there was this internet rumor, and that's really what it was that that started up, where you you had a couple of these like kind of right wing, um, the crazy right wing websites that started um, using the, this gesture and and saying okay this is a way that we can symbol symbolize to each other that we're we're white supremacists. And so it, it's and it, it's it's surfaced from from time to time that, you know, OK, that this is what a, a handful of crazy people, you know, do. All, all right. that That's fine. But it doesn't change the fact that for the vast majority of people, it, it, it is just exactly what it is. It's like, hey, I, I'm OK. This is the this is the symbol. So we are talking about this now because on Jeopardy, um, I think it was on Jeopardy last week. There was one of one of the winners, and um, his let's see, one of the winners. His name is Kelly Donahue. He's he's a guy, and he won three days in a row. So after after his first win, when he comes back the second day, all right, and they're introducing him, what he does is he he goes up. And he apparently he, he makes that, that sort of like circle gesture. He puts it up like his hand is sort of over his heart and, and over his tie. And he, he makes the little circle and he extends two fingers. And he, he's saying, OK, I'm, I'm doing this because I, I'm signifying that, that this is the, the, the second time and that, that I'm here. So I won. Then what happens is he wins that day so the next day he's back and I'm looking at a screen capture of this now when they introduce him he again same thing takes his right forefinger and thumb kind of puts it over his heart and extends three fingers and he's saying okay this, this is my third time that, that I'm here that's that's what he is is signifying by making that gesture all right here is the story a group of 467 former Jeopardy! participants issued an open letter last week demanding an apology from the show's producers for not catching a Jeopardy! winner allegedly flashing a white power hand gesture. Quote, a recent contestant has caused concern among Jeopardy! viewers for two separate occurrences, and we as former contestants feel the need to speak out against the messaging that these choices communicated, either intentionally or unintentionally, by contestant Kelly Donahue, and implicitly by association, the producers of Jeopardy. On Tuesday, Donahue held his thumb and forefinger together, with his other three fingers extended and palm facing inward, and he tapped his chest. Donahue claims he was indicating that he'd won three games, and had gestured with one finger and two fingers to indicate the previous wins. However, the third time was not The charm. Uh, The group that was complaining said the move was similar to a gesture used by white power groups, alt right groups, and the anti government three percenters. A couple of years ago, a contestant unintentionally wagered a monetary amount that used numerical values co-opted by white supremacist group. And since the total didn't affect the outcome of the game, Jeopardy digitally, digitally altered the numbers in the version that aired. This should have been done in this case. Intentional or not, the burden was on the production team to catch the similarity to a hate symbol and make sure it did not end up on the air." And so, after this all comes out, the, the guy he, he sends a note saying, I, "I was just, I was just signaling that this is the third time that I had won. It's not a white power gesture." Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. All right. At, at what point in time do we say e- enough is enough? You have some crazies somewhere. And this is the symbol, a commonly used symbol, because a handful of crazy somewhere, somewhere use this gesture. Does this now mean that nobody can use this gesture? Or is this, again, a reaction to, look, we, we need to look at stuff in context. 855-616-1620, that's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the producers have digitally erased this? Is this guy a, a racist intentionally or unintentionally simply by making a sign that my guess is... Almost everybody has done at one time or another. At what point do we stop allowing fringe groups to co-opt, which are otherwise normal, ordinary gestures, and then groups on the other side to say, oh, well, you you made this okay sign. That means that you have to be a white supremacist. 855 That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My response to everybody is get a life. I mean, I mean, seriously, get a life. If you've got evidence believing that this guy is a white supremacist, well, we'll condemn him. But making this ordinary gesture that people do every day and condemning him and condemning the producers of Jeopardy because they didn't X this out by virtue of the fact that some fringe group somewhere on the internet also uses this sign, to me, that ends up, well, depreciating the true value of racism. 855-616-1620 and the need to condemn real racism when you see it and the hatefulness of it. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Ray and Fondelac. Ray, good afternoon.
3: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ray. You know, this might be one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard when it comes to racism because have you watched an NBA game any time in the last 10 years? Mm
2: Mm-hmm, I I have. At least
3: three or four times a game, a guy will hit a three-point shot and do that exact symbol while running down the floor.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen referees do that. Yeah, exactly. And, and nobody's going to argue that the NBA players are, are part of some, like, like white power or white supremacist group it's a it's a gesture that means in that context it means okay i've just sank a three-point shot in other contexts it means i'm okay in this guy's context it means hey this is the third time i've won where where do these people get off what do they think they're accomplishing by saying oh this means you're a racist
3: you know what i i am a military brat i grew up my whole life believing everybody's equal and stuff like this doesn't help. This doesn't help. This is not no. going to make racism go away. It's going to make those right feel more empowered by, hey, everything anybody does is racist. Well, well, right,
1: now. exactly, and, and right. No, you're you're exactly right, Ray. Because where does it stop? So if I'm somebody sitting in my mom's basement in my underwear on, on one of these like dark fringes of the internet, and I suddenly decide. All right. Here's the next thing. Uh, th- th- this is the thumbs up gesture. If you make the thumbs up gesture, that is a secret way that we we white supremacists have of communicating with each other. Okay. And so that's then. Every, anytime you see somebody giving the thumbs up gesture, that's now been co opted. At, at what point in time do we say, No, look, this is th- this is this fringe stuff, and we're not going to allow this to bleed into the, the mainstream world. On top of that, we're not going to give the power that much power to these white supremacists. And for the people that are, are out there obsessed with the cancel culture, we're not going to give them that power as well. Jeff, this is like Little Red Riding Hood. It, it, it's actually, it's desensitizing people to racism. How many pe- times do people want to cry wolf, which is exactly this. Jeff, the gesture is even an emoji on the iPhone. Yes, yes, it is. At least it's a gesture. I don't know if they've taken it off, but it's a gesture on on my iPhone if you want to use it because it means, hey, that's okay. Jeff, to the point of your caller, some NBA referees toss up that signal when a three-pointer is thrown in the air as it heads towards the hoop. Jeff, the cancel culture and the wokeness of people is going too far. People can be offended by almost anything nowadays. Should we get rid of, to your example, thumbs up because that means negative things in other cultures? Where does it stop? One of our texters says, Jeff, people are idiots. Well, not all people are idiots. And some of the people that get offended by this, they're maybe not idiots in general. But this particular objection to me is, you know, idiotic. Jeff. The late, great Rodney Dangerfield once did a hilarious bit that all he ever wanted was was one of these where one of those is an OK sign. I never realized that Rodney was a white supremacist. Well, he, he probably wasn't. It was, wasn't until about 2017 that people would argue that the white supremacy movement co-opted this. Now, look, I, I, maybe maybe it is possible that it, in some circles you, you've got this is that secret way that this is the secret sign that some white supremacists use to communicate with each other. And, and that's all well and good. And if, and if you see that going on, then you can say, hey, look, this is what these people are doing. But you have to understand context. And just like one of our callers was saying, you know, when the NBA player makes the three-point shot and signs that up, he's not communicating a positive message to the white supremacist movement. And this poor guy on Jeopardy! Who's just, you know, kind of, hey, I've won three times. This is my symbol. Jeff, I would use the OK sign just to make people mad. Well, there is that element as well that's out there. Um, a number of people making the point that they've seen many NBA players do this as well. Jeff, should we all be offended every time, for example, somebody raises his fist in the air as a sign? Um, bottom line is. No, we should not we shouldn't be offended by any of this stuff. You know that that's that is in fact out there, yes, a couple of people are sending me the emoji, which still is there. Um, Jeff, the group think cancer culture mentality plays right into the progressive playbook of divide and comp- conquer. Please, reasonable people need to stop sitting this out and stand up to this nonsense. Well, that, that, that's it. The guy on Jeopardy should not have been forced to, to apologize for this. Jeopardy producers shouldn't have been ripped for not digitally altering this. Now, if, You've got four hundred people who are raising this concern. Well, we're worried that this guy is a racist. You can say, "Okay, why did you do this?" And he said, "I'm just—I don't know. I'm just making the symbol. This is—I won three times. Period. End of situation. Move on." And for the people who are objecting to this, get a life. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff
0: Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So the other day I was channel surfing looking for something to occupy some time and I came across the movie Moonstruck. Grew producing the show today and always. You've ever no, Have you ever seen Moonstruck? No, I don't think so. Well you really should, because it's it, it's it's a classic, feel good sort of romantic comedy. You and Mrs. Grew should sit down and watch it. Nineteen eighty seven. It um, it stars Cher, and uh, Cher and Nicolas Cage and John Mahoney, who played the dad on Frasier um, who, who passed away not that long ago, and, and a whole bunch of other, you know, people that you would, we definitely recognize. But the breakthrough and, and the, the plot of, uh, the, the plot of Moonstruck, it, it's set in, it's set in Brooklyn, and, you know, Cher is engaged to one guy, and she falls in love with Nicolas Cage, who's the younger brother of the guy she's engaged to. And, and it's just, it, it's a clever, creative movie. And, and Cher is great in it. Nicolas Cage is great in it. But the person who's really tremendous in it is a woman named Olympia Dukakis, who plays Cher's mother in in the movie. And, and she's got her own backstory as well. And I, I just, I, I it had been years since I'd seen this. Cher won an Oscar for her performance. And Olivia Dukakis won an Oscar for her performance as the mother. I had forgotten what a good movie it was. So it's on there. And I said, oh, I, th- I think I'll give this a chance. And within five minutes, I was hooked. And it had been a few years since I saw it. So I'd forgotten. Some of the stuff. It was just, it was one of these things that, again, it's a feel good. It's creative, it's fun, it's a feel-good sort of romantic comedy, and it ends, it's one of these things that, that ends kind of the way it, it's supposed to end, with sort of a happy ending, but you don't, you can't figure out necessarily how it's gonna get from point A to point B. It was just a really good movie, and I, I, I remember telling my wife, she said, what'd you watching? I'm watching Moonstruck. She said, I haven't seen that in ages. Said, no, it's really, really good, and I kind of made a note to say, you know, when we're looking for one of our, like, Saturday night date nights, this would be the perfect thing to sit down with a bowl of popcorn and watch this movie again. I bring this up because uh, Olympia Dukakis, who, like I say, played the mom in this movie, um, she was, at the time, she was 56 years old. She was a, mostly a stage actress, and she, um, this, this was, it's not her first movie role, but it was it was a movie role that caused her career to explode. And like I say, she was great in this. She won an Oscar for it. I bring this up because uh, she passed away over, over the weekend at the age of, of eighty nine. But you know, when you think about, she's she was in a lot of stuff. But Moonstruck was clearly, I, I think, the the highlight of her career. She was in Steel Magnolias. You know, two years later, if you can remember that movie, um, she was in the Look Who's Talking movies in the eighties and nineties and stuff. But she she did a lot of great stuff, but but Moonstruck was that movie, and if you haven't seen that in ages, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. Olympia Dukakis' other claim to fame was that she is the cousin was the cousin of Michael Dukakis, who was the governor of Massachusetts, who was the candidate for president in 1988. He was a Democrat candidate for president in, in 1988, um, running against uh, George Bush, the first President Bush. And Dukakis is perhaps best known for these pictures of him riding around in a tank. That kind of torpedoed his his career and his political career. But at the Oscars in 1988, she apparently gave a shout out. to. I didn't remember this until I was into the stories, she gave a, a shout out to her her cousin Michael. Um, so it's a big year for the DeCalkuses. You know, the one cousin running for president of the United States, and the other winning the Oscar for Best Actress. But if you get a chance to go back and watch Moonstruck, I encourage you to do it. And uh, Olympia Dukakis, who I think stole that movie, a great movie, passes away at the age of eighty nine. Check it out.
3: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Um, the more details we learn about this shooting Saturday night at the Oneida Casino in Ashwaubenon, the, the more questions it raises. Let me share with you uh, a report that the Green Bay Press-Gazette is just out with. Now, the, the authorities have announced that the shooter was a 62-year-old guy named Bruce Pofal. Um He shot and killed a, a 32-year-old man. Um, he shot and killed uh, another man, seriously injured a 28-year-old in an attack that began at the restaurant inside the um, Radisson Hotel and Conference Center, which is attached to the, the casino. The reports that are coming out today are saying the guy was the former, the the shooter, who was killed by the, the police in their response. The um, shooter was the former food and beverage manager um, at the restaurant who was fired earlier this year and was not allowed to be on the property. Okay, well, it, it gets it gets worse, and it raises a number of questions, and, and here's what the story says. Let me share it with you. A gunman who killed two people and injured a third at Duck Creek Kitchen and Bar was under a restraining order but still allowed to possess firearms after he harassed and threatened a former co-worker. Um, and then it talks about how the, the 62-year-old guy show up, shot and killed these people. Police shot and killed the man outside the building. Um, he was fired from his job as the restaurant's food and beverage manager earlier this year. He was not allowed on the property. Okay, now here's the new details. According to court records, Brown County Court Commissioner Paul Burke granted a temporary restraining order against POFAL, that's the shooter, on March 9th. So, you know, less than two months ago, on behalf of a restaurant employee who Pofal had previously supervised, the employee and court documents filed that month said Pofal had sent her threatening text messages and emails over the course of a few weeks that included pictures of her home and threats against her family. Pofal made comments like, time's up. In the messages, according to the employee, she said the behavior continued even after police contacted him multiple times. Hotel staff were also aware of the situation and shared her concerns, which was undoubtedly why the guy was not allowed to be on the property. Burks, that's the court commissioner, granted a permanent restraining order with the employee on March 23rd. Permanent restraining order. So that says you're not you're not allowed to have any sort of contact with the person that you've been threatening. Records indicate, though, that the court did not find quote clear and convincing evidence that the respondent, that would have been Pofal, may use a firearm to cause physical harm to another or to endanger public safety. Okay, now let me just stop there. I'll continue with the the story, but I'm, I'm trying to imagine this you 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 have this is your former boss who is sending you threatening text messages and emails including pictures of your home threats against your family and making comments like time's up in in the messages and the court commissioner doesn't find clear and convincing evidence that the respondent may use a firearm to cause physical harm to another or to endanger public safety. To which I would say, okay, wh- how how do you interpret the, the, you know, time's up expression when you're sending a picture of somebody's house and threatening their family? Pofal did not attend the hearing on the restraining order after telling court officials in a letter that he had concerns about COVID-19 safety at the courthouse. I'm sorry, if you were looking at me, you'd see an involuntary eye roll. Pursuant to COVID pandemic criteria, I'm a member in a vulnerable population having high pressure, high blood pressure and um, diabetes. So this is yet another example. And, and I understand that when we, we, we talk about these, these mass shootings and we try to look back, Sometimes you have these these cases where le- legitimately you look at the the person who who perpetrated this and you go man never saw that coming J- just never saw that coming. Oftentimes though it's it's not that at all. You you look and you say, well, of course this had all the red flags. And remember the the shooting in Indianapolis outside the FedEx thing? You know, the the mother you you had one of these deals where the mother had called the police and said you got to take these guns away from my kid because, you know, he's talking about suicide by cop. And so the police go, they interview him, the guy gives up a gun, and they never pursue it anymore. And then he goes out and buys a couple more guns and shows up outside the FedEx facility and shoots people. Well, in this particular situation you have somebody who for whatever reason was known to the court system i mean he's he's in he is making threats against former employees after he has been fired it is of such concern that apparently the the people at the casino and the the radisson they're aware of this he's barred from the grounds the judge Apparently finds that there is enough evidence, and this isn't hard to believe. If you're sending multiple emails to somebody, threatening their family and saying "time's up," etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it's not too hard to figure out, you know, why you would issue a restraining order, and in this case, a permanent restraining order. But but you don't you, you don't make the guy surrender guns. I mean, what 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 is the purpose of this? If somebody is threatening somebody else's life, what is the purpose of of just doing half a loaf? Not at least causing some sort of investigation to go on and determine, hey, what's going on here? And and is this, you know, should we be concerned about it? And the answer is obviously yes. Now, look, if, if the judge... I understand there was a restraining order, and so obviously the 62-year-old shooter, he wasn't hampered by the restraining order. He was barred from the grounds. He went back there, and I don't know if he was looking for this woman or not, but the sense is, you know, he ended up shooting a couple other people that were that were there on the scene, But but he was known to authorities. See, that's the frustrating thing. He was in the system. They issued a permanent restraining order, but in this case, the court commissioner was unwilling to take that extra step and say, hey, we're, we're going to make him surrender his firearms. What more evidence would you need that somebody poses a, a threat to other people? And in this case, you wait until it's too late. They end up acting out. Now, look, I understand hindsight is twenty twenty, and it is entirely possible that even if he had been ordered, that he had to surrender his guns. It is entirely possible that he might not have done that. It's entirely possible that he might have found some other way to get firearms, et cetera. And, and we don't know where these guns came from, but we, we know that despite the fact that the court system had a chance, had a chance to try to intervene to take guns away from the guy, they didn't. And as a result, you have multiple people, two people who are dead in addition to the shooter, that makes three, and somebody else who, who's injured. So whenever we talk about you know, all, all these, you know, the, the gun control issues and, and things like that. And how do we deal with mass violence? My, my starting point is when you have people who are on on the radar screen uh, of law enforcement in the court system. You have to you have to deal with them. You can't simply just stand by and say, "Okay, well, you know, we're we're going to issue an, an order that's not worth the paper that it's it's written on." Now, does that guarantee that they won't find some other way to engage in an act of violence? No, but at least you're you're trying to do something. And in this case, we have another example where it at least appears that the court system had a chance to do something and, for all intents and purposes, blew it big time. Back with more in just a minute. This is
0: Jeff Wagner on WGMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Hey, coming up in about 15 minutes, I was right. Dr. Fauci was wrong. Where do we go from here? I will explain and we will discuss. So for everybody out there who says, well, Fauci, you can't can't be wrong about anything. Well, not necessarily the case. We'll discuss and I'll explain. I, I mentioned this story last week because... It's sort of an object lesson for all the people out there who are the defund the police crowd, and and you know who you are—the folks who believe that you know we'd be better off without police on the street, and that police are essentially you know racist occupying forces. Well, I mean, tell that to people who, who need police officers. I mean, just think about what happened at the Oneida Casino in, in Ashwaubenon, you know, over the weekend. I mean, you had you had an active shooting situation until you know, police arrived and they ended up taking out the shooter. If they hadn't done that, who knows how many more people would would be dead. You're lucky you had the police. And typically that that is the reaction. You're you're lucky that you have the the police. And and this is another one of these examples that demonstrates, number one, we're we're lucky we have law enforcement. But number two, how out of control crime is. I I made reference to this on on Saturday's show. On, On Wednesday, about 1230 in the afternoon, you, you had a a carjacking that occurred out in Germantown at a senior living community. What, what happened was um, there was a guy, he's driving a black BMW about 1230 in the afternoon. He's getting ready to leave Fairway Knoll, which is a, a senior living facility in Germantown. Apparently what happened, he, he's in his parked car, he's preparing to leave. All of a sudden, a guy comes up with a handgun, puts it to the head of the the man in his car, demands his wallet and keys. This is 12.30 on a Wednesday afternoon in the parking lot of a senior citizen, senior living community in Germantown, Wisconsin. I mean, we're not talking about two o'clock in the morning in a, in a nasty air area of some urban area. We're talking about 12.30 in the afternoon at a senior living community in Germantown. So a guy comes up, sticks a gun to the head of of a man who's sitting in his car. At that point in time, another man approaches the vehicle, physically pulls the victim out of the car into the ground. Both men get into the BMW and they drive west on Highway One Sixty Seven. Okay, so this is this is twelve thirty. Well, you've got two guys; they, they've stolen one car. Well, what are you going to do after that? Well, you know, you are two guys; you need to steal a second car. So here it, it gets even worse. What happens is, two hours later, about two thirty, there is a woman waiting in line in her white Mazda to pick up her kids from St. Mary's Parish School in Hale's Corners. She's in the line at 2.30 to pick up her kids from an elementary school, a parochial elementary school. I guess it doesn't matter if it's parochial or public or private. She's in line to pick up her kids. So what happens is guy approaches the driver's side of the woman's car, says something she didn't hear because her windows are, are up. Second man approaches the passenger side, pulls out a gun, orders her out of the car, demands her wallet and phone. The woman complies. So the two jump in her vehicle, drive off. It was found that the next day, woman's phone and wallet were not recovered. A third person was, wait for it in the black BMW sedan that had been stolen from Germantown later that afternoon. That vehicle was two cars behind the woman's cars in line. It pulled out behind the stolen vehicle and followed it as it drove away. So here's the deal. We are going to go out to the senior living facility. We're going to carjack somebody at gunpoint at 1230 in the afternoon. And then we're going to drive down to the elementary school at 230 in the afternoon. We're going to get in line We're going to pick a car, and we're going to go up and stick a gun in the face of some woman who's waiting for her kids, pull her out, rob her, and drive off with that car. And now the authorities are saying, well, we we think these are connected, which... Isn't necessarily the greatest part of. Mo, mo, that's not the most difficult part of police work because the car that was used to drive the people to the school to car for the second carjacking was the BMW that was stolen. You know, two hours ago, before. So yes, it, it, it's all the same thing. But th- th- what's scary about this, and what needs to be scary for everybody, is that thieves around here are getting more violent and they're getting more brazen. I said this on Wednesday or Thursday when we first talked about this, and I say it again. I am willing to bet you all the money in my wallet right now versus all the money in my producer's Groo's wallet that when they catch, if they catch, but when they catch the people who were involved in these carjackings, I guarantee you it's not going to be their first time at the rodeo. You don't wake up on a Wednesday morning and say, hey, Kind of a nice day out what what should I do today? Well, I could you know go work out, I could go you know take a walk in the park. I know I'm gonna get a couple of my low-life buddies we're gonna grab some guns and we're gonna stick up people and carjack folks in the parking lot of a senior living facility and then we're gonna go carjack somebody who's at line at an elementary school. You don't just wake up and decide to do that. My guess is, That when they find whoever did this you are going to have criminal records as long as your arm or as long as my arm and it's going to turn out that they've been in and out of the system and probably have never been held accountable might be juveniles don't know exactly what's going on but when are we going to wake up and realize that at some point in time we've got to start protecting this community we've got to protect the people who are again leaving in senior living facilities in Germantown at at 1230 in the afternoon or waiting in a line to pick up your kids outside an elementary school at 2 30 when are we going to start recognizing that by not incarcerating the people who are inclined to do this type of stuff we're not doing anybody any favors and in fact we are putting the community in danger stay tuned more to come when we come back after the news I was right dr. Fauci was wrong where do we go from here I'll explain Live from the Annex Wealth Management
0: Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Well, here's interesting. Looking at the text line, Jeff. I remember right before the break, we were talking about the, the, the carjackings started in last Wednesday, started at 1230 at the Senior Living Facility in Germantown. And then uh, the the thugs used that car that they'd taken, the BMW, they used it to drive to St. Mary's and Hale's Corners, got in line as parents were waiting to pick up their kids, got in line. You want to talk about just, you want to talk about Brazen. And, and then got out of the car and picked some woman in a white Mazda to, to carjack her car. Um I got a text. Jeff, I'm the St. Mary's mom that was carjacked. Just heard you telling my story. Thank you for sharing. Well, I'm sorry that you, you had to go through that. And, I again, hopefully they will catch the people that are brazen enough to do it. And I, I stand by my comment. My guess is not their first time at the rodeo, probably been through the system on multiple occasion, had their wrists slapped and were not deterred for doing this. Here's another text. Jeff, my mom and dad live at that senior living facility in Germantown. After it happened, my mom texted me saying, as if we don't have enough to worry about. Wow. Okay. Anthony Fauci was wrong. I was right. All right. How can you say that? Danny Fauci can't be wrong about anything. Don't you understand? Fauci is God. Whatever Fauci says, we have to do. In Fauci, we trust. Well, I, look, I, I and I've said this before. I mean, I, I think Dr. Fauci is well intended, I, I think one of his big problems is that he has been overexposed in that he just can 't say no to any interview anywhere, and as a result, he, he ends up sending mixed messages and contradicting himself he 'll say one thing and I believe me, I understand the science changes I, I understand that you know a year ago you might have thought covid nineteen was one way. You know, six months later, you learn something new. So I understand the science changes, but Fauci changes with with the the breeze. You know, he'll say something on a TV show on Sunday, and then Wednesday he's saying something diametrically opposite, or saying, "Well, I didn't really mean to say that on Sunday." So anyhow, what what's the the latest change? For the longest time, Dr. Fauci and others have been saying what we need to do is herd immunity. Remember, that that's the phrase. Herd immunity, we we don't come out of this pandemic, we, we come out of this pandemic when we get to herd immunity, which is a point where so many people have immunity, generally through vaccinations, that there's just not enough people out there who are left to spread the disease. That's the whole idea behind herd immunity. And the numbers that were being thrown around, depending on at what point in time you, you listen to Dr. Fauci and others, he wasn't the only one, was that we we achieve herd immunity when 90, 80% of the people have been vaccinated. We achieve herd immunity when 90% of the people have been vaccinated. I have been saying all along that you are never, ever going to get to that number. You're, you're never going to get 80% of people who who are vaccinated. It's just... It's not going to happen. And again, I'm not an anti-vax guy. If you know, listen to this program. As soon as I could get my vaccine, I got the vaccine, and I'm maybe a little bit unique. I had absolutely no adverse reaction at all. I'm not talking about any chills, no nausea, no headaches, no nothing. I, I'm one of these people that just, for whatever reason, nothing at, at all. But, but I'm a believer in vaccinations. But at the same time, I realize that. Eight out of ten people aren't going to do it. That that's just true. You you've got people who are naturally skeptical about skeptical about vaccines. You have people out there and I, I know who you are and that's fine who believe that th- this was quote unquote rushed. I don't share that, but people believe that and that and you're afraid of long term consequences. I, I have other people I know out there who um maybe you had COVID, you recovered, you believe you got some natural immunity. All sorts of variety of things that there's reasons why people are skeptical. But I, I, I never saw 80%. If, if that's the number, I never saw 80% as being realistic. It just, it was not going to happen. You know, 60%, you know, maybe, 65%, maybe. But if herd immunity, you need 80 to 90%, it was never going to happen. And now, that's, that is what experts are starting to say. Here's the story in the New York Times from over the weekend. Um, early in the pandemic, when vaccines for the coronavirus were still just a glimmer on the horizon, the term herd immunity came to signify the end game, the point where enough Americans would be protected from the virus so we could get rid of this and reclaim our lives. Now, more than half of adults in the United States have been inoculated with at least one dose of the vaccine, but daily vaccination rates are slipping and there is widespread consensus among scientists and public health experts that the herd immunity threshold, is not attainable, at least not attainable in the foreseeable future and perhaps not ever. And this is something that I have been saying for months and months. Instead... Experts are coming to the conclusion that rather than making a long-promised exit, the virus will most likely become a manageable threat that will continue to circulate in the U.S. for years to come, still causing hospitalizations and deaths, but in a much smaller number, which is, I, I think, probably accurate. This was foreseeable a long time ago, because the bottom line is now, there's enough vaccine out there. Anybody who wants to get vaccinated... Can get vaccinated anybody who's wanted to get vaccinated has had the option to do it so now if you haven't made the decision to do it the question is what what's going to motivate you to do that and that's why the numbers of people lining up to get vaccinated are dropping dramatically because the people who wanted it they, they they've got it so let's assume that we're not going to get to that herd immunity we're we're, we're not going to get to that and I was right when I said that COVID-19 is going to be a part of our lives moving forward. Well, what I want to discuss with you now is is where do we go from here? My general sense, and it's just based on on my world, and and I have, believe it or not, I have friends from all across the political spectrum, and interestingly, I, I'm at this point in my life where I meet new people all the time, and the thing that I am noticing, Regardless of where people are politically, regardless of of where people are on the socioeconomic scale, my general sense is that people are done with COVID. I, I I, I was in a couple of different settings this weekend where you had people, they were shaking hands. The, the, the masks, you know, people weren't wearing masks. Now these were in outdoor settings, but but people were were shaking hands. We were getting back to normal, and these were people who had been vaccinated. And the general sense was, once you have been vaccinated, you're you're, you're set. You're you're not the the odds of you transmitting this disease to somebody are, are slim to none. And if you've been vaccinated and you're dealing with somebody else who's been vaccinated, that's for, forget slim to none. It, it's almost none. You mean look out for the bolt of lightning coming down that might strike you. The, the odds are, are pretty much what that is. And so my sense is that where we are attitudinally, where we are as a community, where we are as a state, where we are as a country, is we're ready to move on. And the idea being, once you've taken care of yourself, once you've you know, gotten gotten that vaccine, once you've had the option to do it, we're ready to resume our life now. As I've said before, I think there's going to be some people who, for the rest of their lives, are going to want to wear masks, and and that that's okay. That's a decision you make. But I think now recognizing that we're not going to get to herd immunity, recognizing that there will always be some people who therefore make these decisions to take some of these risks, and they're going to get COVID, and. For for most people, you get COVID, you're sick for a little bit, you recover, you get on with your life. Some people have a very adverse reaction. But at this point in time, knowing that we're not going to get to herd immunity, is it time now for those people, is it time for us to just start living our lives and recognizing that that it is what it is? And if not now, you know when? Because candidly, I I think at this point in time, I think it's time to open up open up the businesses i think it's time to go back to normal understanding that yes let, let's face the reality there will be a risk that's involved some people are still going to are going to get covid but you've had a chance to prepare yourself and protect yourself if you've chosen not to do it well, okay, that that is now on you. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. And if we're not going to do it now, when do we do it? Especially if we now recognize that we're not going to get to herd immunity, maybe not ever. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Like I say, I think my sense is that that people are just done with this, and people feel that by getting vaccinated, they have done what they need to do, and at this point in time you know, expecting them to do more is just virtue signaling. They're not a risk to people, and they're not at risk. All right, we discuss next. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, over the weekend, authorities, experts, quote-unquote, acknowledging what many of us have been saying all along, that, that herd immunity is just not going to happen. It's just flat out not going to happen. And so the result of all this is, you know, where do we go from here? Do we continue to impose all sorts of restrictions? Do we say you gotta wear masks everywhere? Do we say that, okay, we're gonna continue to limit baseball games to 25% capacity and restaurants to 50% capacity? Or now that we've reached a point where pretty much everybody who wants to get a vaccine, the vaccine has had an opportunity to get the vaccine, do we now say, okay, it's time to go on with our lives? Are you going to let COVID, which will be around for, I, I think the foreseeable future, Are we now going to continue to let that dominate? We can't go back into offices. We can't open up businesses. I I think people are ready to move on. All right, let's start with um, Mark. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon. I got my first Thursday. I couldn't tell you what vaccine I got because I don't remember. I ended up in the hospital right away. I don't know how many hours. And now today I'm going in because to see my doctor because I got headaches. Mm -hmm. Everything is just, I've been forgetting things. And you're right. Hurt immunity is not going to happen, it just ain't going to happen. Yeah. What I think is going to happen is this eventually they'll tweak the medicine. To make it work better. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I think.
1: Yeah, and well, th- again, first of all, I'm sorry that you had an adverse reaction. And again, I, I understand a, a lot. Of, it sounds like yours was extreme, but I understand. I've talked. I think I'm probably the exception who had like no reaction at all, knock on wood, to, to the vaccines. Cause most people I know had minor, what I would describe as minor reactions, like the headache, the, like the flu-like symptoms for a few hours and, and then, and then bet really tired. So I mean, I, I understand it hits people, di- different people, different ways. For the vast majority of people, though, it, it's a temporary thing, but it, it goes back to the, the, the larger point. We're not, we're not going to get herd immunity because there are, there now we are at the point where the people who have gotten the vaccine, it's been the low hanging fruit. Might might you get an extra five or ten percent or fifteen percent of the population to continue to get the vaccine? Sure, I, I, we will. But you're not going to get close to eighty percent. So now that we're at this point, you know what? Where where do we go? And I'm getting texts from people who say, "Well, we lock down the country forever." That, that, don't you understand? As long as there is the possibility that we're going to get, that somebody can somewhere get COVID, well, we're we're, we're going to have to continue to, to do this. Well, I, I just, uh, I, I just don't see that as being realistic or or reasonable. And I go back to where this whole thing started, which was flattening the curve. You remember that? That was the goal. It was never to eliminate COVID because COVID is a virus. You're, you're not going to eliminate it. What? You're, in the real world, what you want to do is you want to make sure it's a situation where the, the healthcare system is not overwhelmed by the people that are getting it. And, and we're way past the flattening the curve level. And I mean, I think I think that's good. I understand why people took the precautions. I'm not anti-precaution, but now a year into it, after you have the vaccine, plus I just think, and it is just my general sense from the people I come into contact with, most people are over it. And this idea that you're told that once you get that vaccine, you're essentially bulletproof. Is there is again can lightning strike? And if you're interacting and shaking hands with somebody else who's got the vaccine, is it possible that they could somehow have it and give it to you and you could get it? I guess it's possible, but it's certainly not likely. Gianni and Montello Gianni, you're you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh good afternoon jeff Hey listen you're spot on i, I think uh, um America is ready to get back to normal if we if,
2: if we haven't gone there yet. I mean summer is coming up and um I, I think um you know there's a certain element of human nature here uh for those that don't get the vaccine, you know they kind of roll the dice and, and we'll see what happens you know in the next uh, six to eight months when we get into the autumn but um you know I have to say i I, I will continue to wear the mask. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I, I I don't see i I don't see many people a week, so I'm, I'm rather rather coistered, uh, because of uh, my caregiving duties to my father. But um, when I go into a grocery store, it's very early in the morning. I don't see too many people. Uh, if I meet and encounter three people, that's it. But I will continue to wear the mask. And in full disclosure, Jeff, I, I haven't gotten the vaccine yet. I, I'm waiting for maybe, um, you know, it to be uh, amended or upgraded when we get a mutation in the fall. And we really don't know how long the immunity last. So
1: Yeah, no think well Jan and look and I and I appreciate and I I've said this before and I, I, I appreciate that there will be people who will make the decision for the rest of their lives to, to wear masks, and, and I, I I respect that. If that if that's the decision that you want, and they will continue to social distance, and they will they will treat COVID nineteen even though the numbers drop dramatically, they will continue to treat it like like a plague, and they'll be afraid if they get it, they're going to die. And I, I respect that. Look, I, I if you decide you want to wear a mask for the rest of your life, or somebody decides that not you personally, that's that's fine. I, I get it, but but these artificial restrictions that we are putting on business at this point in time, saying that, you know, we, we, we can only have 25% of people at, at a baseball game, you know, saying that um, we, we, we can't have people sitting at Pfizer Forum watching a basketball game, saying that we have to have limits on the, the size of gatherings, saying that, um, you know, we, we want, again, artificial limits on the number of people who can go to restaurants or bars. It's time to move away from that because w- there is this degree of protection. And more importantly, One of the things that I've noticed is we keep moving the goalposts. I mean, again, at the beginning of this, the idea was, okay, we need these restrictions until we flatten the curve. Okay, then we flatten the curve. Then it was we need these restrictions until we get herd immunity because we want to eliminate the the virus. Okay. Well, now I think we're recognizing that we're never going to get to herd immunity. The virus is going to be around just like the flu is around every year. And I understand COVID-19 isn't like the flu, but, but that's the whole scenario that's out there. So what, what is it? Do we continue to have the restrictions? Um, do we continue to treat for the next six years? Do we continue to treat things like we we have for the last year? And, and my sense is people again are just ready to move on from this. And at some point in time, our, you know, big government, big brother has to recognize folks were willing to make the sacrifice, folks were willing to do this. And at this point in time, now folks are ready. The populace is ready to move on. Some people are going to continue to do certain things like wearing masks or whatever. That that's fine. But if we're really going to follow the science, what is the goal? What is the end game? How do you get out of this? And if we recognize that there's not going to, we're not going to achieve herd immunity, perhaps ever. All right, do, do we just continue on and on the path we've been following, or do we say, okay, it's time to now move to the next, the next step? When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.